Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Good afternoon and welcome to Collaborative Connections Radio Show and Podcast sponsored by KLM. I'm your host, Kelly Lorenzen, and we are live in Tempe, Arizona, or if you're listening afterwards on all your favorite podcasts, we are not here still in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) I have three amazing guests with me in the studio today. I'd love to introduce you to first, Stephanie Hastings. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, I am a native of Arizona. I am here just enjoying life because I love the heat, so I'm one of those crazies, but just have my wonderful husband and my two boys and really standing in alignment with helping uh, small business entrepreneurs to find ways to manage their money, get around those little mindset hiccups and focus on the things that is going to help move their business forward. Like, how can I be that person to help you around your accounting, your bookkeeping, your business plan, um, your pitch, something like that to get you in front of the right lenders and financers or investors. That's what I'm here for. It's exciting. One a reason I invited we Al and I invited you to the show. We love collaborating. That's the point of the show. Collaborative connections is to uh, connect people in the community and to listeners to have resources enough an abundance of resources for each other to build business. So I love that. Thank yes. you, Stephanie, for yes. having us on. Al, welcome to the show. Thank you. Tell us about you. My name is Al Loveland. I'm a consultant. My background was I started out with a history degree, and I always like to say is that that, that in 60 cents would get me a Coke. It was pretty useless. <laughs> I kind of bounced around after college, and I started at a, a J.P. Morgan Chase where I stayed in credit cards for 15 years. Like, my history degree really worked there. I moved out to Arizona. was part of a layoff, and I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I started. I got a master's of management. The first class was built around consulting, and I loved it. And for about seven years, I worked with small business and nonprofits. I did a lot of work at Vitalist. I did um, tap talks, things like that. And then right around 2020, I changed my company from 21 Days Consulting to Strabo. That change was to work with a little bit bigger companies. And what I help with is what I call strategic implementation. It's from once the strategy is built, I help organizations develop what I call the four Ps, getting the right people in the right positions, find the right process to get the performance they're looking for. And that's very necessary in all size business, for sure. (laughs) And Deborah Artega, Artega, Uh, that was bad. I didn't ask you ahead of time (laughs) how to say that. Welcome to the show. Either one works, Artega. (laughs) Thank you. Tell us about you. Yeah, so I am a happy mother of four and grandmother of one and have lived in Southwest communities most of my life. I've been in Arizona over 30 years dedicated my whole career to working in social services, just really uh, find great fulfillment in applying my business background to the nonprofit industry in my role now. I'm the chief executive officer at Tempe Community Action Agency. I've been there for about seven years. And in that role, I oversee the four Ps that Al <laughs> mentioned. Um, under, I work under a board of directors, a volunteer board of directors, and we have a team of about 50 really dedicated employees making great change happen in our community. I didn't realize that TCAA was that big. Wow, that's really cool. And were you, is that a scale? Is that scaled a little bit in the last five to 10 years? Definitely has. We've grown tremendously. And that was really my personal mission coming to the agency. Um, our agency is one of the primary and the largest social service agency in Tempe. And as 
population has grown, and uh, with that, poverty and food insecurity and other social issues, it was up to our agency to figure out how to accommodate that growth, expand our programs, um, expand our staff and our capabilities. Mm. Right? That is really awesome. I know. I don't think a lot of people know about TCAA. There's a lot of organizations in the Valley. Um, And so it's nice to hear how each one supports our community and how each one collaborates with other other community organizations as well, right? You work with a lot of other organizations. Across all industries, right? None of us can really be successful alone. It goes for any industry, any organization. So we do a great amount of collaborating. And, you know, as you and I chatted about, uh, nonprofits don't always do a great job of self-promotion and marketing. So thanks for the opportunity to be on the show today and to help us meet that mission. So who, who inside your boundaries of Tempe, but also outside, who are you looking to to work with to really get in front of this? Because I can see there's so many areas where you can really be felt, especially with food insecurity, with children and going back to school and how COVID really shined a light on who was able to support their families and who wasn't and who was really utilizing that school program to feed their kids. That was eye-opening for me, I have to say. So many takeaways from the pandemic. So our name is a bit misleading. Our focus area is actually East Valley-wide. Most of our participants in our programs live in Tempe, but we serve all East Valley communities, depending on the program. Some have some geographic restrictions and others don't. That's good to know. Okay, happy to help. You You throw me in, Coach. You Here let me go. know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Speaking of post-pandemic, uh, a lot of things have changed for a lot of a lot of people individually, a lot of companies, organizations. Stephanie, how, what was your pivot? Most of us, yes. I'm assuming, right, uh, for you, but most of us pivoted in some sort of way, personally, professionally, business-wise. What were you doing before and post well, that is a great question because before the pandemic, I was really getting in alignment. I was I was hitting my stride. I was really excited. I was working with small businesses and bringing those solopreneurs into a new level of growth. And I was really happy about this, you know, helping them, bringing them in. Uh, what's the phrase that uh, Dean Grazio, she says, give them what they want so that you can get them in and give them what they need. So I was bringing people in and I saw that they just needed some bookkeeping. They needed their taxes done. But when I got in front of those numbers, I was like, oh, and, and we're going to work on a couple of these other things. So um, that was where I was able to sit down and have like a strategic conversation with them and say, hey, let's build out your specific blueprint for your business to see where you can grow. So that's what I was doing and it was working, but it was on a onesie twosie style. And I really felt I could be helping more people. And so as the pandemic hit and I had my office space and I was just getting ready to grow and step into that space, you know, I had to close that office down. There was nobody coming to that office. I didn't need to pay for space. And so what I really stepped into was grants and grant writing and business proposals because I realized a lot of small business owners didn't know about the opportunities. They felt that it was mostly for nonprofits or for scholarships. And so as I did more research and outreach on that, I realized I had a talent for that, for being able to find and research those grants, but also to write those grants to win. So that's what I started working on because of the pandemic. Really cool. That is so necessary in all 
entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, on, you know, small businesses need capital. Yeah. So, but a lot of them are scared or the not knowing where to turn. Right. Do I need a bookkeeper? Do I need an accountant? Do I need a financial planner? Do I need a grant? Do I, and they don't have any idea what direction to go. So it's really cool to have somebody who knows all the options. Yeah. Right. And then can point them in the right direction. That's right. Because, you know, grants are great, but you've got to understand it's not tomorrow. So if you need something tomorrow, we need to look at something more like a lender or credit line or something like that. And then if it's something long term, maybe we can find an angel investor or another investor who can help you get off the ground and get growth and get some coaching around that while you're growing. So we're really focused on that plan for today and what that's going to look like once you receive those funds and how we can keep that growth going. So that's that's important to me. Absolutely. Al, what about you? Pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, you talked a little bit about it right at 2020, switching your Absolutely. business name. My first major client, I started in February of 2020. For the new company. For the new company. <laughs> and so I can remember sitting there um, working with the president and telling him about this potential thing coming down the road of COVID. And I was very fortunate that the company, it was a drilling company, and they were, what was that term? They were essential. Mm-hmm. And so we started back up again, and it was... Uh, a very interesting time. And what I found since then is, is that the key thing is with a lot of automation, a lot of things can get done, you know, with AI and different things, but what can't get done by AI is getting people to work well together. And what I found is, is that, you know, when you have to deal with today, because we're in a a very diverse um, world today, one piece of diversity that I, that I share that's a little different is, is that people with the movement were brought up in different companies and they were trained differently. So they see the world differently. And so when you start merging people together and they say, well, that's not what I did at my old job. Well, this is what you're doing at the new job. And so you have a lot of clashing potentially with that. What I've done recently is, is that I've, um, I've kind of I read a great article in the Harvard Business Review about a fractional chief of staff that goes into the president of the company. And you go back and what you do is you see what the president wants. And then you go out with your eyes and ears and say, okay, what's really going on? One thing that I always found, I used to call it the two worlds, the world of the executive and has in their mind and the world that actually happens out on the floor. <laughs> and one of the things is making sure that those two things are close together. One of the things is to say what Stephanie was doing before with grants, what I did in my previous life with uh, nonprofits I do with small business owners is with these businesses is, is that you have abundant need and limited resources and how to make sure that your resources are be effectively utilized. And then, uh, it's what I call performance conversations. It's back to like with positions is, is that a lot of people burn themselves out, especially in the nonprofit industry. So true. And a lot of that is, is what are the expectations? What are the timelines? And how are you getting the work done with the resources that you have? And then the other piece is, is that I like to use analogies once or twice. <laughs> and like in a lot of cases, I would ask, and you know, I'd ask, you know, like Kelly, you, I'd ask, could, could Kelly bench press 400 pounds? Probably not, right? Nope. <laughs> and so what happens in a lot of organizations is they put 400 pounds of work on someone's bar to lift. And they say, why can't you lift that? And what happens is there is that difference between the staff and the management. And what I found was a big change, especially in the nonprofit industry was, was that your generational change, your uh, generations that are older than me, they'll work to the work gets done. Yes. They love it and they'll burn them. They'll work hard. And a lot of youngsters will say, I'm not working that hard for what you're paying me. 
Mm-hmm. I've got other opportunities out there. And so there's a lot of change that's happening. So those are things that I'm trying to work on today. And what I saw post-pandemic with all the movement and making sure that having the right people in the right position, but it's that work-life balance and not burning people out. I have a, I have a question about that. Have you noticed, Al, if, in because during that transition, right, so we saw a lot of people who now had options. I mean, they could be at home on a Zoom somewhere or behind a screen, you know, in their underpants or pajama bottoms Mm -hmm. and just dress nice on the top. Have you noticed that some of these people, because now the world's opening up and, you know, they really want you to come back to, some of them really want you to come back to the office, that they're having a struggle being seen and they don't want to be seen? One of the big things is with the hybrid workspace and the the new world of the executive, because— I don't want to be too bad on executives and uh, big companies, but a lot of them don't know what's going on. And so they want to go back and they say, I want to do A, B, and C. But people are saying, hey, I have to drive an hour back and forth, especially if you live out in, you know, Cave Creek here. Mm -hmm. And so, like, what I found with organizations is is I have a program that I call life management. You know, it's like you've got your business to run, your family to raise, your community to serve while you maintain your, your emotional, spiritual, and physical health. And part of what I do is sit down and say, okay, where are the hours allocated between that? And then you sit down and say, well, would you rather have that person driving 10 hours a week or would you rather have them doing 10 hours worth of work, work on something? Yeah. And then it makes the person feel heard. And then once they feel heard, they buy into your organization and it helps you sustain that because the other piece is there's nothing more, and we could probably we roll this over to you, is that there's nothing more frustrating than having people leave and having to train people up and, oh. and, and just doing that because it's such a hard thing to be able to manage during uh, when you're super busy. I did a session uh, mid-last decade. It was called Stepping Into the Whirlwind. And a lot of times people step into the whirlwind. And then the, the last thing I'd say too is that with um, a lot in, in the nonprofit industries, a lot of working moms. Yeah. And I always say that the working moms is that this is your second job, not your first job. And, you know, it's like it's having that flexibility. Um, I, I like to call it flexible discipline. That yeah. You're able to get your work done, but then you're also able to be flexible. And it's good communication skills. Yeah. So. I like that because, you know, I'm a mama and um, my priority is my family. And, you know, and then every everybody, once I cross that threshold outside that door, they get that priority. But before that, that's that's my little my people. Those, right. those are my people. <laughs> and I think that made, uh, talk about the silver lining of the pandemic for, uh, you know, for me, I know for our family, it was a nice change to that we all got to have, spend more time together and be together in the house. Uh, and I had to make real specific movements and mind frame shifts a little bit to say, when I cross this threshold into yes. the office, I'm doing this. When I'm done with my calls, my hair goes up in a ponytail, right? And then when I'm done with actual work, then it goes all the way up, you know? Yeah. And it was just slight little changes to know what the, which role I was in, Keeping you know, healthy boundaries. to keep healthy boundaries. I'm going out with my husband. I'm going to get dressed up now. You know what I mean? Right, the different right. things because of the whole work balance life right. intermingling of everything it's you have to make those those changes movements but also for deborah i just wanted to think with the pandemic and there was a lot of um we talked about the food insecurity and and families knowing you know hey school was supportive of the food things that we needed for our family but also because you know you were trapped in this uh, how long was the pandemic i i don't know it took 
It took a long time. All I know is I got to be the school teacher I never wanted to be. Mm, not cool. <laughs> um, and I realized that the people in my household, you know, being there day and night, I was very blessed. I loved my family and I felt, wow, if the whole world went away and we were just just the four of us, we'd be okay. But I know that wasn't the same story in every other household. And that's probably brought some new struggles to the forefront. And now it's, you know, you can't look away anymore. We realized some of these families were put in a situation where they were possibly with an abuser or with somebody that, you know, did not really care for them or they didn't care to be with. And how did that shake out and, you know, sort of fall at your doorstep? Mm-hmm. The changes that we saw with the pandemic at our agency were all of our services were in person, whether it was helping folks apply for rent assistance if they're about to become evicted or unsheltered adults providing them with emergency shelter or standing in line at the food pantry or the seniors that we serve or bring meals to their homes. All of that work had to be changed. We had to change how we did how we did that work. We also are in very cramped facilities, and so it made social distancing very difficult. We never closed our doors. Our staff worked. I hardly saw my family because I was at work while they were at home. And so I think that that created a a sense of purpose for us because at least we could be mobile and do something about it, serve the need that the community had at that terrible time. But it also was a drain because it was emotionally difficult work. Yeah, we dealt with a lot of very difficult uh, situations in households, but staff felt empowered that they could do something. At the same time, they were frustrated because they had colleagues who could work from home or had time away from work to be able to be with their families and their children, and they couldn't when they worked in social services. So, you know, we joked about having T-shirts printed that said, we're essential too, you know, (laughs) the human service workers that were continuing to serve that heightened demand. Um, had stresses of their own as well. I bet. And a lot of recovery after right now. It's the recovery mode of how are we mentally checking in with people? How are we, you know, providing those services? Uh, I know a lot of organizations are starting to think about that and and implement that of of the mental health is a huge deal. Um, I assume you guys see that. You saw that way before the rest of us did even more so now. And I would say one of the advantages I think that the pandemic brought us is we're all about great return on investment. Every dollar that's donated to our organization, we're accountable for, and we want as much of that to go back to the community as possible. And we can increase that return on investment as we become more efficient. So we're always looking at how do we get that food box out in a more efficient way? How do we rely you know, less on purchasing items and bring more through collaboration, right. donations? And um, you know, how, do we, how do we expand what that dollar can provide for when it comes into the organization? So the pandemic created that. Um, it really just expedited what has always been important to us and what we've always made a habit of doing. Efficiency. Wow. In every business, and every organization, efficiency is key. The more efficient you are, the more money you make, the more, you know, lives you can help, the more people you can impact. And accountability, too. And I'm sorry, Al. When you both talked about grants, the one, it's interesting to me that you have found this opportunity in helping businesses with grants and having done professional grant writing for years, the piece of it that some nonprofits and businesses maybe don't fully understand is it comes with a huge accountability piece. You have to deliver on what you propose. You have to be realistic, 
deliver on it, measure it, and prove it. And so as we created more efficiency, we always had the mindset of now we need to be able to track that back, count that, put some data around that, prove that it's working or prove that it's not a continuing practice. Right, because when you get, you know, $10,000 or $100,000 towards your program, you've got to mark out that money and make sure, you know, within that three to five years, if they come back and ask you for it, you've got proof. That's right. One thing I want to add is what I like to call the second E, you know, with efficient is also to be effective. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite things I read once in a paper one day where someone was going back and they said, you know, you can save time if you cut your shower time down from 25 to 22 minutes each day. You know, it's like, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, it's like people go back and they think about that efficiency and you get things in leadership that are thinking about that. And in a lot of cases where if you're, there are three questions I always ask is that, should you continue to do this? Should you stop doing this? Or, or should somebody else do this? Hmm. And in a lot of Good cases questions. where you go back and you say, I'm trying to have someone be efficient, but then especially in the nonprofit industry is they say, well, we don't want to hire somebody else because that'll be a cost. We got to, you said something before, we got to keep a certain amount of, you know, resources, um, the, the 10% rule. One of the byproducts of that is that you burn people out because they go back and they say, well, we can't really hire somebody to do this because we might be outside. And then people are working 60 hours and people just, they collapse and things like that of, of just the stress. And that's one thing that I always go back and talk to people about is saying, is this working? And the other piece of that is the one thing that I do with performance evaluations is that it's really a three-step process from an effectiveness standpoint, is that are you doing the things that you said you're going to do? And then are those things working as designed? And then finally is what is going on outside of here? And think about like in 2020, who knew about the pandemic? And then 2021, who said, oh, uh, we're going to have inflation of 10%, you know, where or gas is going to be $5 or something like that. And and so it's always having those conversations to say, are we being effective with what we're doing? And are we getting the results that we want to get? Because I find that a lot of organizations, when they think about efficiency all the time, they lose sight of the human element and they lose sight of the performance of people. And so you got to look at both. You're absolutely right. And you mentioned the 10%. And of course, the nonprofits were always challenging other industries to show us where you can run a business at less yeah. than 10% overhead. Our organization has, for the past six consecutive years, done market rate increases across the board because it's important to us that folks are paid a fair wage for the work mm -hmm. that they do and retained because the turnover doesn't save money either. Yes. Yeah, that costs a lot of money to train and train and train. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Stephanie, um, you think back on your journey, you have come to this, you know, where it sounds like you're really happy and being really effective and, and helping a lot of people. Do you have a why? Do you have your why? Yes. What that drives you? Your purpose or your why every day? Yes. So um, I funny little story. I got to be the business owner I never wanted to be as well. <laughs> I was happily working for somebody else in their bookkeeping firm. And one day um, just was told, I'm doing such a great job. You're doing fabulous. And as she's walking me out the door with her hand on the small of my back and she's handing me a laptop and my purse and sweater, I'm like, hey, now, what's going on? So um, basically, you know, I was the accidental entrepreneur because she sent me out um, back in the day. You did bookkeeping in in office with your clients. And so she sent me out with my own book of business to to work. And that's how I initially got started. And so 
my journey was just a side hustle up until that. You know, I was just working with friends and family members. And then after that, I was doing that full time for small business owners and and high dollar earners and people who flipped large houses here in the Valley. And so it was very nice. I was very well appreciated. And I thought, hmm, I could be doing this for more people. And so that's initially what started my joy and that journey of entrepreneurship because, you know, it took a while for me to leave my comfy, cushy job with benefits. <laughs> but I realized there was more people I could be helping. So, And then the other piece of that is my division tax day baby is because not only am I born on tax day, but I am my dad's tax day baby. I'm his deduction. <laughs> so, so as an homage to my dad, we formed tax day baby and now we're able to be a little funny with it, but a lot serious and just be able to work on some of the components that small businesses need every day and also to be a speaker and an author and an educator. So I want to get out in front of people and teach them what they need to know. Happy to do that. And it lights me up inside, right? Just being able to pay it forward. So that's 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 my joy and that's part of my journey. Happy belated birthday. <laughs> Al, what about you along the way, along um, your journey? Your one, of my first, one of my first clients, I'll never forget um, a conversation I had with somebody. And the writing was kind of on the wall. I know from my days at Chase, they were people that were brought in that weren't given a fair shot. And I can remember the conversation and she just broke down and cried and cried and cried. And the stress of being a new mom and, you know, not doing well at work. And, and then you know, that the piece when you see small business owners and you see people with a dream and there's nothing better than taking, you know, a, a dream to seeing the fruit could go from an idea to results. And then it's, um, I always say that you got to have style, but you also, you got to have substance, but you also got to have style and you got to treat people well. And you have to have that system in place that you, that you realize the potential of your people and your plan what I find it so important, it's it's how you do it. And there's so many people, like I've had people before that sit in parking lots that are behind us and they cry before they go into work every day mm -hmm. because it's so awful. What I want to do is change that one business at a time. The kind of, because it, it's, you know, the, the one thing with business is it's, you know, it's, it's not fair. You know, the turn of last century, there probably was somebody sitting around saying, we're doing really well in this horse and buggy industry. <laughs> and the car comes out and poof, you're gone. And so it's really kind of going back and it's back to a four-step process I like to have is to understand like what your vision is and then what's your strategy to be able to do that. And then once you do that, it's how you go about doing that. It's how you implement it. And then it's the adjustments that you make along the way. Um, I always like to quote the great philosopher, Mike Tyson. He said, uh, he said, everybody had a plan against me until I punched him in the face. And a lot of time as entrepreneurs and owners, and you probably know in the nonprofit industry is, is that you think you're doing well and then something hits you. And then I like to kind of work with organizations to help them become agile. And then lastly, back to that life management piece is, is that uh, I always tell, especially people that work hard in uh, entrepreneurs and stuff, I always go back and I say, um, you know, you have your spouse and your children for a reason. How much time are you spending with them? I remember I had that conversation first and I was a husband and wife working in the insurance industry. And he said, uh, don't ask my wife that question. I said, why? Because, well, she might spend want to spend more time with me than I do with her. Uh -oh. but, uh -oh. but, it's, but it's one of those things that you, that you know as a small business owner is, is that you only have 168 hours in a week. There's only 21, 32 and a quarter. And there's only so much that you can do. And what I like to do with organizations is that, is that sometimes you got to learn what you're not going to do 
before you can be effective in doing the things that you want to do. That's brilliant, Al. That. That, that is, I, I have to tell you, that is one thing along my journey that has really, really served me is that no is an entire sentence. I love to give. I love to be able to say yes. I say yes all the time. But there's times where I really have to say no to preserve not only my sanity, but really what I'm doing and, and be into what I'm doing. And so that's that's huge. And the second thing that I always tell people is that rest is doing something. Yes. So a hundred percent that needs to be what? in the in your calendar. Yes. So <laughs> self care, rest, all yes. of it. That's right. Goes to, back to effectiveness. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. You, you can't <laughs> you can't be effective if you're dog tired. You cannot give to your highest level if you are struggling mentally and physically. You must rest. That's brilliant. We're not going to put that in there. <laughs> put that in every day. <laughs> Deborah, what about you? And you think back on your journey, your why or purpose. Has it come full circle? Yeah, uh, I've been thinking about that as you've asked the question. And, and that moment, you know, where I decided this will be my career. And I think I owe it to a young man named Jesse. My first position I sort of fell into out of college was to help individuals find employment. And so I didn't know how to do that. I was lucky to get that job. <laughs> but I learned how to do that. And I worked with a young man named Jesse. He was in his early 20s, who was really adamant about getting a great job. Like that was about him becoming a man. So we did that. He was successful. And a couple of weeks later, he was back in the office again. He had lost the job. And he became this return customer until... I began early in my career, college, recent college graduate, to understand that without addressing the barriers that were preventing him from being successful at employment, he was never going to attain that goal that he had. So I think that that helped me understand how um, passionate I was and how fulfilling it was to be able to help people reach their goals and address the barriers that are preventing them from meeting those goals. I think everybody has the right to live a purposeful life. Some folks have the benefit and the um, privilege to have access to the resources they need to make that happen, and others don't. And I feel a sense of responsibility to be there for those that just need that little help getting to the next step so they can reach their end goal. That's right. It's that support, right? Yeah. So that's one of the things that I love to talk about is that mindset. When I talk about money mindset, that's that's a little more the why behind my why is I feel that if I am able to step in, excuse me, let me correct my verbiage, when I'm able to step in and be that support for a small business go. owner and help him or her get their money story straight, do you know what that does for them? It changes not only who they can hire in their community, it changes their generational story, their financial generational story. Like, where's the money coming from? I created it. It's now here that I can either share with my children or my children's children. I can make that either generational or I can sell that and build something in the community. And even better, when you have these entrepreneurs that are now financially self-sufficient, guess what? They're able to give of their time, of their money, right? They have that emotional and physical wherewithal. They have that bank. It's full now and they can give. So that's my why is... I want to be that game changer, that person that makes a ripple effect out into the world. 
I love that. The ripple effect is a perfect way of describing it. In our organization, one of our staff one day showed me in our file room the coding that we have on our client files. And there's a number in front of the identification number. And the first number or the first two numbers is the number of times they've come back to the organization for that same service. So she showed me a file that had a 12 in front of it. So this was a household for the past 12 years kept coming back for rent assistance because they were low income, because they built that into their household budget. They would never be able to afford 12 months of rent. They could afford 11 and rely on us for the 12th. So going back to your ripple effect analogy, we started a workforce development program with financial coaching and employment assistance because of the household income and the barriers to improving that household income aren't addressed. That file would have become file number 13 and number 14 and so on. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing though, but you you had you had that ability to track that. Again, we talked about tracking, right? And with financial tracking it's the same. You've got to show where you put those dollars. But with the people, like you've got to show where they're getting a benefit and if they're still having the struggle, what can we build as a community, right? Not just an agency, but as a community as a whole so that we are helping serve members of our community. That's what we're all here for. That's why we collaborate is because we see the bigger picture, right? It's not just us. It's and that's huge. a great example of, this, of the second E, was that you became more effective and then you were able to, looking at that, and st- stopping 13, 14, and 15, you saved time and you cut things back and then you helped other people out that made you more efficient by being effective. Right. Yeah. Really Look big at that, deal. hitting wow. the E's there, Deborah. I'll <laughs> give you brownie points over here. <laughs> that's, that, that's that extra step, right? It takes one extra step, one extra thought to change a whole, the ripple effect, yeah. right? Just that extra, hmm, what else can I do to help this family besides just like the prevention. What's yeah. the prevention? You know, That's what's the band-aid, that right? So once upstream. you give them the band-aid, right, everybody comes back because they got the same cut. But if you fix the crack in the cement, no one no one falls. But and <laughs> I would I would say that the key piece to all of that being successful is the risk people are willing to take to mm. make a change in their life because we can all offer great businesses, great services, customers and of ours, clients of ours have to be willing to take that risk, try something new envision that life can be different, but take the steps to be there. So they're really the reason for the success. And entrusting yeah, in the yeah. process and entrusting in the people that are willing to help you, yeah. right? That's a, that's a really big deal. Yeah. All right, Stephanie, how about some tips for business owners, nonprofits, organizations? We'll get into uh, my tip time. <laughs> Tell us uh, something for money. You know, money is in everything. It helps everything or harms everything, right? Correct. So if you could give people a few tips, that would be great. Exciting. Okay, this is my lane, y'all. So what I would say is it's all about tracking. So if you are looking to sort of make some difference in your, let's say it's, let's talk first about small business owners. You're trying to make a difference so that you realized, oh my gosh, last year, I just started to make some money, but my taxes came too. And, it, you know, it wasn't what I expected. Now I owe. So what can we do? What's that shift so that you're making sure that you're in front of those expenses and making sure that you're really looking at what deductions you can actually take? So I say my tips there for a small business owner is to really start to track 
what their expenses are and really start to track where their revenue is coming from. Because listen, there's nothing wrong with paying your taxes and being wealthy to do so. No problems. However, when it's the struggle where you're bringing in that revenue and it's going out just as fast and now you've got all of these taxes, that's a barrier to your growth. That's a barrier to you scaling. So let's look at those numbers and let's look at what's missing that you can deduct from your business to see where you can sort of bridge that gap a little bit. So that's for small business owners. And then for nonprofits, I would say, let's look at some things about what's going on with your team. Where do you see that there's potentially a need that can be filled that's going to bring you more sponsorships or some of those those grant opportunities that you can get in front of so that the hustle's not real, right? Because we know in a nonprofit arena, it, it really is all about the dollars to be able to meet those program initiatives and those things that are going to make a difference for what you have for your vision, for your mission statement, right? So I would say looking at those different opportunities and then seeing is that an internal resource that you have or is that an external resource you need to go get? So those are just a couple of my little tips around there. And most importantly, I say, remember to breathe. Because money is energy. And if you have no energy, you are not being in a place of gaining any more money either. I so, love that. Advice. <laughs> I love that. Al, what about you? Tips and tricks. The main tip that, that I would have today is take time to talk about whether for good performance or bad performance, is it the person, is it the plan, or, or is it the environment? Mm -hmm. In many cases, people get so busy, they don't take the time to think strategically. I put a little shout out to my uh, mentor, Scott Romeo, who got me to, to teach uh, strategically. But in a lot of cases, organizations are just busy doing stuff. I've had many times where is a thing happening because of you or in spite of you? Mm -hmm. Is the environment changing and and you're blaming the person rather than making a strategic change. Think about a salesperson, you know, trying, trying to sell something where a competitor is beginning to, to made a change that's affecting you. Or from the standpoint, if the government starts cutting back on grants and things like that, if, if there's cuts and things like that, what do you do in that situation? And so it's having time to look at that. And it's very much a non-blame attitude. In so many cases, people want to blame somebody. They want to scapegoat somebody. They want to say, you know, Stephanie, it's your fault, rather than going back and saying, okay, what do we think was going to happen? What actually happened? And then what do we see? Organizations in a lot of cases don't take that time because they, they don't look back at what happened yesterday to, to make the tweaks that it is going forward. And one of the key things about with numbers is to make your assumptions and then ask that question of, okay, what's happening and why do we have to tweak things? Because sometimes staying the course is making a decision. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing I always, I call them signpost sessions because, you know, like if you ever driven to California, you know, you say, I want to be at that border in five hours. And if you're not there in seven hours, like what happened? Why did it happen? How do I learn from this? Because the one thing I always say is that it's okay to make a mistake. It's, it's not okay to make the same mistake twice. And with organizations, especially leaders of organizations is it's always questioning things. And then the people in there, they're not questioning you. They're questioning the plan. And you have to also be open to be Questions. Questions, stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, so, so true. What about you, Deborah? So I'll take a little different spin on this. Uh, tips for businesses is get to know your local nonprofit community. Um, there are so many great reasons to collaborate. And not only are employees wanting more and more to have 
you know, a variety of, of opportunities at their business, including an ability to improve their community and serve their community. But also think to your nonprofit community as an extension to your employee assistance program. You have employees that are experiencing a crisis. You know where your local service providers are and you can refer employees. They're able to get the help that they need to, so that they can stay focused on their job and take care of the crisis outside of that. That's a big deal, right? Most of us think of nonprofits as how can we help them? How can we support them? At least me and you know, community. If I'm not doing something every day, every month for nonprofits, I'm like, ah, something's I'm not right, you know. But on the opposite end is they can be a great resource right. for your employees. I love that. One more thing that I'd add to that is that with performance improvement plans, in a lot of cases, it's more of a, hey, let's get somebody out the door. You're not doing well, I gotta fire you. What I've always said is that, you know, when you have an effective performance improvement system where you're trying to get the best out of people and your positive is, is that I've always told people that if I have to fire you, that means I have to do your work while I work to hire somebody. Right. Then I have to go through and make offers and then have the person wait two weeks until they give their job. And then they got to come in and we got to train them. It's going to take them 10 weeks probably to get back to where, if I just work with you over the next couple of weeks, it's in our bench distance to help you. It's also in your best interest to kind of learn about what's going on. And so it's those positive conversations. And, you know, that's the thing, because a lot of people are, are always, they have that old mentality that it's not doing, we got to get rid of them. Accountability. I hate that word. <laughs> it's usually brainless rather than going back and saying, and then too, like once you've done all that, then you've gone back and said, because I remember one quick story was that I, in my uh, corporate days, I had somebody come back and I, we used this philosophy and somebody came back and they said, Al, I want to talk to you. And they were leaving. And I was like, uh-oh, this is not going to be good. And we went into a conference room, sat down and she said, I want to thank you for all you did for me. Because after you went through all this stuff, I realized that this is not what I wanted to do. And it forced me to go somewhere else. And at a certain point, because whenever you work with somebody, there's three things that can happen. One is they can quit. Two is they can get better. And then three, you have to fire them. But in most cases, if you do it well, you hardly have to fire anybody. So it's a very positive way of doing things. But that's a great stay and grow plan, right? So if you are able to have that adult conversation with somebody, right? Because sometimes you can't, right? <laughs> sometimes they're not able to listen. But if you're able to have that conversation with somebody and just say, hey, listen, you are integral to this team. And what can we do that's going to make a difference for you? And how can we help you grow so you stay? That's huge. First of all, to know that they're cared for in that manner might just turn them around, you know, on face value of things. And um, it's funny. So one of the other things when you were talking about, you know, how small businesses can use nonprofits as a resource, one of the other things that I was thinking about that might be helpful for tips as well is the tweaks and the leaks. That's one of the things that we always talk about is Look in your business and see where you are leaking time, which ultimately leads to leaking money. So look at these little things. And, you know, I put together a checklist so that we can go over all of those things when we have a conversation. And I invite people to have a conversation so we can look at where where is the necessary for you to just make a little tweak and save some money. Or, you know, you've got some real money coming out the door. Let's just stop some leaks. So that's important in, in all areas, whether nonprofit or for-profit businesses. It's, it's that review that needs to happen as well. That's great. 
review time, right? Review money, review all your systems, efficiency, effectiveness. It it needs to be a line item in, you know, what you're spending your money and time on. Is that is that review is going back, right? right. It's one thing to build a business plan for the year for for the term of how you're going to build this whole thing out. It's another to go back all the time, every month, every quarter with your team. How is it working? Review the systems, review the plan and make the tweaks yeah. and fix the leaks. Yes. <laughs> Plug right. the holes, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's a boat. It's it's supposed to be this business boat that's going to take you to the shore of your dreams, right? That's the goal. That's on the horizon. You can see it. But if you build the wrong vehicle, right? If you you're just making this out of leaves and twigs, you're never going to get there. So it's it's called building a strong boat. It's around your leadership and around looking at really taking ownership of some of the tracking around your business. And the other thing that I'd add to that is that you could be taking care of your boat, but you got to have that eye on the horizon because there was a storm coming. You got to be prepared. So, And you want the right mates next to yep. you. Oh, definitely. That's awesome. Look at us in our boat theme. <laughs> I love it. I Look love it. <laughs> that was one of my favorite quotes for COVID is we're all in the same storm, but not in the same boat. Right. So we have to listen. We have to understand, be understanding, be not judgmental of where people are in their journey and in their, where whether it's business or as a human, uh, and be that, you know, understanding and and uh, let them, you know, find their way in their, in their own boat. And that's the grace. Like, uh, there's oftentimes when I'm speaking to different groups, I'm talking about grace because COVID taught us a lot of things, which is... We really didn't know what was going on in the other households. To this minute, we don't know what's really going on in the other other households or other businesses. So show each other some grace. Step out and really stand in your humanness and just don't find reasons to be divisive or to be different or find the diversity in things. Try to find the theme that is the commonality. How are we all going to make it on this planet and move forward together? show each other a lot more grace. You don't know what someone's been through. You don't know what they're going through. Show some grace. And that's going to, that's really going to help us grow our humanity and grow those collaborations when we're like, I can't do it on my own, but with your help, I can get there. Oh, I love that. That's <laughs> so good. All right. Next, next, I want to know about shoulda, coulda, wouldas. <laughs> oh. If you would have known, if you should have done, could have done, and for others listening, for business owners or business professionals, mm-hmm. what would be something you would tell somebody? Stephanie, I'll start with you. First of all, I remember saying that no is an entire sentence, and it took me years to learn that. I only learned that in like 2019. So, yeah, that was huge for me, and I I expect everyone to write this down. That's a writer-downer. No is an entire sentence because it steals your time and your money and your energy if you say yes to everything. And then the next thing that I really wish I would have known sooner was that stepping into entrepreneurship doesn't mean stepping away from something else. It could be and, not an or. Just that little difference made a huge deal for me in walking away from corporate America and really stepping into my business wholeheartedly. That effective change allowed me more growth and passion for what I was doing. Because if you don't really step into something, there's a lot of fear about what you're walking away from. So 
I love yeah. that. I always say I want to be a philanthropist when I grow up. <laughs> then I thought, wait a second, I can start this. I started this when I was 13, right? My family was a big philanthropist, right? And I was like, well, I already am. So why can't I? It doesn't have to be or. I don't have to go work for a nonprofit. I can be an entrepreneur and give back to the nonprofit sector in my volunteer time. So that's, that's Just what call I've done. Me. That, yeah. was, that was a huge aha moment for me. Like— Life can be an and, not an or kind of life. I love that. All right, Al, you're up. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Well, it's a perfectionism myth mm-hmm. that we go around and we try to think that we don't want to fail at things or we want to try to make things work. And a lot of times that's just wasting time. And so sometimes you've got to go back and say, this isn't working out and it's okay to have something fail. And we've all had things where we've stuck with something a little bit too long, stuck with a strategy a little bit too long, stuck with a person a little bit too long. (laughs) I had some personal things that I didn't really take care of that I should have in a a quicker fashion. But, you know, you try to be perfect. And if you think that, you know, if I take a loss, then that reflects badly on me. But I always like to say is that a great baseball team wins 100 games. That means they've lost 62. And certain days you're going to take a loss and you just got to get over it. And in my cases, I, I always try to be, you know, perfect. And then the second thing is really take time in for personal improvement, professional improvement, read, listen to podcasts, get different perspectives. I read like six different devotionals. I've got books. Uh, I, I always have a nose in a book and it's always finding something interesting. And then the last thing that I'd say for that is, is that, read a book for a second time. Because a lot of cases I'd go back and i say, I already read that book. And the one thing I found out is that I haven't read it. The person that was in my body 20 years ago read it. And so you have all these things that have changed inside of you and then things that you've picked up before you haven't, things that you see didn't see before you see now. And that enriches you. And so as a person, um, I was blind to a lot of that. And so now it's, you know, and then finally is take time to smell the roses and, <laughs> and, and, and rest is doing something. There right. you go. That perspective shift as you grow older, man, that's huge too. Sure. Right. A different person. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And re- reflection mm-hmm. is key, right? Deborah, what about you? Shoulda, coulda, what is in your business career life? I uh, would say that in, I think it's pretty typical in social service type organizations that we feel a huge sense of responsibility of being upfront, center, ready to serve the community in the right way at all times and not making any mistakes and never saying no. We call this now the Christmas tree syndrome at our organization. And so one day we walked into the food pantry and there were a dozen Christmas trees in there that someone had dropped off and we accepted because we don't like to say no. If we say no, then maybe the next thing that comes to our organization, we won't have that opportunity for So we took that as a lesson to understand the time it took us to get rid of those Christmas trees when that's not who we are. We are not a Christmas tree vendor. Um, Took time away from the mission. So in that, and I would say that that unfolds into my second point, which is making mistakes out loud, celebrating those as as an organization to say this wasn't a mistake we made that day. That was a learning opportunity. We learned that it's okay to say no and why it's okay to say no and that it doesn't mean that we're going to lose donors, lose partners. It means that we can be better at the work that we do. 
Make mistakes out loud. I love yeah. that. That is really cool. Yeah. So speaking of mission, what is the mission of TCAA? Our mission is to alleviate poverty and advance equitable communities. And how do you do that? We do that through improving food security, and we have three or four programs that are designed around that. We do that through improving housing stability, preventing and intervening with homelessness, through economic empowerment, the workforce development services I mentioned, and then through health and wellness. We work on those four pillars. That's how we alleviate poverty and create equity in the community. Nice. So mm-hmm. cool. It is really cool, all the stuff you do in the in the community. And we're very thankful as a Tempe resident and Tempe business. I'm very thankful for all the work you do for, for our community. Stephanie, uh, mission and, and vision for your organization? My mission, as I mentioned, is to go forth and change small business owners to be financially savvy and sound and secure. Therefore, They're changing their communities. They're changing their generational story. And they're creating that ripple effect that I'm trying to create. I'm I'm that game changer that's coming to support them in making that ripple effect. And then really my vision for the next few years is to step into helping more entrepreneurs, more small business owners to become big business owners and to hire more and to serve their communities on a larger scale. And that's when I will really see see myself as, you know, paying it forward and feel fulfilled because once those those people then generate new stories of entrepreneurship, I mean, that's that's all there is. That's right. Nothing more. That's right. I love it. <laughs> Al, what about you? What's the what's coming up for you and and uh, mission for you? My main thing is to allow organizations that to, to realize their vision. What are you trying to do? And then how do you Take that thing. It's one of my favorite um, things that was from St. Augustine that he had was called intellectual vision. It's that thing that you see in your mind. And how do you make that a reality? And then the second part of that is I've just kind of half joking, but not is to uh, is to eliminate awful places to work <laughs> one business at a time. I love so, that. <laughs> no crying in the parking lot, yeah, people. It's no crying in the parking <laughs> lot. But it's like it's it's all about finding great places because that's a competitive advantage today. It you sure know, is. Because people are going to say, I'm not going to work for awful people anymore. Nope. And so, you know, the question is, are, are you awful? And it's one of the things is that you can say, I'm not awful. Well, let's talk to your staff. <laughs> let's ask them. <laughs> talk to the people. <laughs> I did something once where I did, a, um, I did a focus group for a nonprofit. We went around and talked to 10 different clinics. And there was one where it was eight to five drinking from a fire hose of people just coming in and saying, this is crazy. Can't live like that. And the executives were completely and utterly clueless. How do you fix that? Because, you know, again, today, if you think about it, how with all the books, all the literature, all the training programs, can things be awfully run? I can't even fathom it, but that's because I've been a business owner for 20-something years. (laughs) I can't fathom being, you know, in an awful organization and having to feel like I was stuck there. I would lose my mind, which is why I've never gone to work for anybody, I guess. (laughs) On the flip side of that, just to his point, you know, as a founder, as a CEO, as, you know, the leader of that organization, how are you so obtuse that you are not seeing? Maybe you don't know. That you're not bringing value internally anymore. I think a lot of them are just obtuse to begin with. (laughs) 
It's normal for them. That's right. Oh my gosh. Well, can you believe we've been talking for almost an hour? Isn't that crazy? I know. For listeners, Stephanie, on the horizon, what do you have coming up? Uh, Anything exciting? Anything last minute you want to share with everybody? I do. I really want to get in front of small business owners that are ready for that next level and ready to really get out into the market, get known and get seen and heard. I have my Entrepreneur Hour with Stephanie Hastings coming up, and I really want to have entrepreneurs get in front of their audience and figure out how they can share their story, much like you. Share the story. Get in front of your audience. And then, importantly, if you know you need some of my support or services, please reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook. But most importantly, it's really easy to have a conversation with me just find a spot on my calendar and let's chat. Tell us how we can reach you. You can reach me at https www.mmceo.as.me slash let's chat. That's my calendar. And you can get on that and we can chat. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Al, what about you? Anything exciting coming up in your world, in the Max 6 community world? Well, the one thing is that... Um, I am the mayor here at Max 6. Yes, you <laughs> are. We're doing a lot of exciting things here. At Strabo, the one thing that I'm working on is the uh, the time investment strategy sessions where you sit down with staff and you invest your time like you invest money. And you say, these are the things I want to invest my time in because, you know, once the employers and the employees know that, hey, we're allocated a certain amount of time and then you're taking time away from these other areas, it makes them be more effective in their time. The other thing is, uh, well, my website is straboco.com, and you can reach me at al at strabo, S-T-R-A-B-O-C-O.com. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. What about you? Do you have anything exciting coming up or any asks for the community? Always. (laughs) (laughs) So we're getting into summer months where uh, demand for food increases as kids are home from school and you know, older adults and adults with disabilities who are homebound need more assistance. We're always recruiting for volunteers. And that's sort of a fifth pillar of, of the way that we carry out our mission is through community engagement. There are always opportunities and always a need for volunteers. We need volunteers for our food pantry. We need volunteers to deliver meals on wheels to the homes of individuals who are homebound. And there are always ways to support the mission, not only through volunteer time, community engagement, or corporate engagement, but just also through donations. Uh, We rely on the community when the community relies on us. Uh, The way that you can do that is our website, tempeaction.org. Simple and easy, tempeaction.org. I love it. You've been listening to Collaborative Connections radio show and podcast sponsored by KLM. Do what you love and outsource everything else. Until next time, happy connecting. Mm -hmm.